tipped in the air and knocked away. KU's got to win it. Blah, big time two-hand slam by Hunter Dickinson. Kansas is the 2023 WNIT champions. This is the Jayhawker Podcast, presented by the University of Kansas Health System. Here we are in the month of February and another Jayhawker Podcast. I am Greg Gurley along with Wayne Simeon. Jacker Podcast brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System, Black and Beach, and Xfinity. Excited to recap a couple of games, kind of good, bad, and ugly. Uh, preview a couple of games we got coming up. We're in that dog days of the grinding gauntlet of the Big 12 schedule as we have another week with a Saturday home game and a Monday road game. Worked out okay. Last week could have been a lot better, and that's why I say good, bad, and ugly. Wayne, good morning to you from lovely Arizona. I'm here. It's not sunny, so don't get mad at me that I'm away. It's way better weather where you're at. I'm looking out at the mountains, and it's 51 degrees, raining. I'm going to the golf tournament tomorrow to cheer on our own Gary Woodland. Yeah, waste management. Former champ of the Waste Management Open. So good morning and good afternoon to you, buddy. And uh, let's have a good show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those things. All those things. So last week played a perfect game. Uh, the only imperfection in that game to me, which is one of the weirdest Houston game is what I'm referring to, was the fact that we had 18 turnovers in a game we won by 13 against the number four team in the country. I don't know what computer software system Chris Tyson enters stuff in. That's got to be a first. I don't know if you could even look that up, but whatever artificial intelligence now. Name the last time a top, you beat a top five ranked team at home by 13, shooting 69% from the field, and you had 18 turnovers. And the visitors, three. So, whatever. That's why stats are so crazy and you can't really rely on them. But what an atmosphere in Outfield House. What a performance in Outfield House. Near perfect execution, offensively efficient, defensively dialed in on every single possession and just took it to a very tough team in the Houston Cougars. Yeah, and a, an elite performance uh, nearly top to bottom, as uh, as you mentioned, that one category uh, kind of uh, being a little bit of, of of an enigma. I think that if you would have asked you, me, or, or, or many of uh, the Jayhawk faithful, if we would have had 18 turnovers and Houston would have only had three, if you would have asked if we would win that game, I would be hard-pressed to make an argument that we would, uh, which, 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 which is really, really strange, really unique, albeit – probably about five of those turnovers were, were literally like us just giving them the basketball, which was strange. They, they weren't really forced. We weren't really sped up. There wasn't any type of an enormous amount of pressure that the Cougars put on us. They, it was just kind of, kind of fumbling, careless, careless, careless yeah. basketball, um, which, which would later, you know, sneak up to, to, to bite us uh, a little bit later on in the week. Uh, but I felt really, really good going into that game. Um, three days prep, um, the the performance that Houston had on the road at Texas, which um, most of the guys watched and coach alluded to, I think kind of had us on alert, you know, high alert, being underdogs in our own building. And then, of course, you know, that's one of the things that Coach Self does uh, better than anyone is being able to placate and spin that narrative that like, hey, we're dogs in our own house. These guys are nobody respects us. us. Yeah. They're more athletic than us. They're going to come and embarrass you in front of your friends and family and on national TV because actually the lineup for uh, those Saturday games, uh, robbery-wise, was was phenomenal. It was great. That the whole day was great for college basketball. Uh, so our guys were ready, and we saw it by the way that they came out with with the early fast start, which are very very important for this team. Fast start, but uh, more so than the high shooting percentage, Greg, we were dominant in every toughness category. Like I'm not, I can't remember missing a blockout. I can't remember not getting a 50-50 ball. I can't remember there wasn't a time where we weren't the first to the ground 
And that is what makes a Houston and a Kelvin Sampson led team all the way back to Oklahoma. That's what makes them great. They look so stagnant. Speaking of the Houston Cougars on offense, because their main offense is, hey, let's throw it up on the glass and we're going to go get 60 percent of our offensive rebounds. That was their offense. And when we neutralized them on the glass, um, you know, we really rendered their their offensive productivity, uh, you know, pretty much useless. You know, there was a stat. It was probably eight or nine minutes into the game. Houston had one rebound. To your point, they like to catch it, chase it, shoot it, you know, and one rebound. Now, part of that was we either made the shot or we turned it over. So there weren't as many opportunities <laughs> to rebound. But th th this game had a, a box score that was just kind of confusing and weird. But it was all to our benefit because of the way we played. So sorry. But I, I remember looking at it. was like at the 13-minute mark. I looked at David Lawrence and I go, are the stat monitors right? They only have like one rebound. I thought they were just – I thought our screen had frozen or something. But it was true. And we just took them out of their game. Because as you know well and good, just like I do, Calvin Sampson recruits guys to his system, which is hit you, bang you, box you out, chase you, and and not always very offensively gifted. But I think this year they're way more offensively gifted than they've been in the past. But we completely took them out of their game. Yeah, you know, to that offensive gifting, uh, really neutralized shed. Uh, we knew that Cryer, as they had a nice little run there in the second half, to kind of maybe tighten the collar not, up a little bit. Not cut they, like they, one yeah. guy, one guy, yeah, yeah. And and I think we expected that, especially someone that is elite from scoring behind the three point arc, as uh, as LJ LJ Cryer is. And so you know, for the most part, um, you know, played nearly nearly a perfect game. And then of course, as you mentioned, the the, the crowd and the atmosphere was absolutely phenomenal. Fieldhouse folks showed up. There's a reason why we're 12 and 0 uh, at home. Um, and, and it was in large part to, to that energy and buzz that, that the, the Jayhawk faithful provided. You know, I got several phone calls from my donors. You and I deal with, with you know, uh, all of our donors, but on the higher end, it's very expensive to come down Fieldhouse to have good seats. And it was so refreshing that I got calls from, from people that were like, you know what? Games like that makes it all worth, you know, you know, they're paying a, a a lot of money to have the seats that they have and being able to bring their kids, grandkids to the game and, and have that atmosphere is what makes it all worth it for our players, for our coaches, for our donors, for our visiting fans and, and teams like that. You mentioned it, too, that the Saturday lineup of games was crazy and it all culminated with. Duke in North Carolina College Game Day, which College Game Day will be in Lawrence this weekend, which will be a, a great atmosphere as always. So uh, I just thought, I thought UConn was the best I've seen atmosphere-wise until last Saturday, and it was crazy. And and the other thing I'll add, we're in going to be in phase two of the Allen Fieldhouse renovations. And our scoreboard and our speaker system, and there's going to be some new video it's boards. Get better, it's getting the better. Manufactured noise from from uh, Rock Chalk Video is going to be even greater come next season. And so I know the Houston fans that were there for the first time are like, "How can it get any louder? It's going to get louder." Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. And uh, I uh, have pretty big expectations for the environment this Saturday. Uh, with game day being in the house. And, you know, you know, part of it is uh, you give the crowd a reason to get frenzied by the way that you play. OK, uh, I don't necessarily remember there being a ton of like highlight driven, exciting plays, meaning ESPN top 10. Uh, KJ had a few electrifying blocks, but I, I uh, but it's just the way that we play. Like when we play hard and tough. And we, when we play like it means more to us than it means to the other team, that's what fans and donors and people want to get behind is, is, is the try hard. Look, occasionally, you know, you'll get the, 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 the timely, you know, three by Johnny Furphy or the big dunk from KJ. And those are great. But to have and generate that consistent type of atmosphere, it starts with those toughness categories. And that's something that those guys did a great job of on Saturday 
And it's something that, guess what? You need to have those on the road as well. We were certainly lacking in that category on Monday night. And unfortunately, we paid the price for it. Yeah, as I started off saying the good, the bad, and the ugly, the good and the great and all that was Saturday. The bad and the ugly was Monday. And that has become an unfortunate trend for us during the Big 12 season is that we've struggled on the road against teams that in normal times we would win those type of games. And we just haven't. We haven't been able to just make that big play uh, or get that big stop. And it happened again on Monday. So as we put a bow on Saturday, atmosphere, unbelievable. Big win against a top five opponent. We're a dog. Kelvin Sampson came out and said he was mad at Vegas for making <laughs> Houston the favorite. And then, uh, then you uh, move Kelvin on. Kelvin Sampson, who, who remains winless in, in the field house, uh, mind you. I'll just, I'll, I'll, a great coach. It's not a shot. A great coach. It's more of a an affirmation to the environment and what we can do in, in Allen Fieldhouse because we have an, a, a great coach uh, who, hasn't, who has yet to win a game there. Yeah, and, and he is a great coach. And uh, I was watching him last night. You see him, they're up 21, I think, and he got yeah. kicked out of the game on a call that should have been called. I, I watched the replay. I was like, oh, my God, that guy just elbowed him right in the back, and he went He nuts. got He got his money's worth out of that ejection. I'm not sure Scott Drew did uh, earlier on Saturday with, with his ejection. Kelvin certainly got all, all his worth of that, which I, which I appreciate. Speaking of that, what a weird game. You know, after we got done with our game, you're watching the other ones. And Baylor-Iowa State was one of the closet really good games throughout the year, and it was marred by an ejection of Scott Drew on a very uh, home, like literally a, a, a step over the coach's box, which you and I watch basketball all the time. You don't ever see that. Now, I did hear that the Big 12 sent out a memo. I don't know if this is true, that they're trying to put an emphasis on staying in the coaching box. So sometimes when you put the emphasis out there, the officials, it gets grain in their head. And they're like, I'm going to, Call three seconds, or I'm going to call it charge more. But I can't believe they teed him up for that. I mean, uh, me and you don't care what happens in that game. But, man, if the shoe was on the other foot and Bill got kicked out because of stepping over the coach's box line, it's ridiculous. So I was really surprised at that. And if I'm a Baylor fan, I'm really glad that you won that game because if you lose a one-point game and something like that and two of the points were from a Tactical because of a coaching box, I would have been furious. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how Coach responds to that as, as he's known to be uh, animated uh, on the sideline and certainly hasn't always adhered by uh, coaching, box reg coaching box regulations, wh wh whatever those are, right. um, especially in a, in, in a fiery game like we're going to have on Saturday. So as we move on to uh, Manhattan, couple nights ago, Dylan's Sunflower Showdown. Uh, frustrating game because of the way we played on Saturday. We're like, okay, all right, we're going to go to Manhattan. K-State's lost four in a row. All my K-State buddies that I was talking to up there, they're like, oh, we're reeling. You guys are the best. you know. And I'm like, well, it's always going to be difficult in Manhattan. And it was. And I wouldn't even say K-State's a great defensive team. But they played really well defensively, took us out of a lot of our stuff, and nothing was easy. And then when it's not easy, you got to dig down, you got to make free throws, and you got to make the big plays, make the big stops. And we just didn't. And yeah, there was some, there was a, there was a part of the second half that the fouls took over, and when K State was struggling offensively, they made seven straight free throws, and that got them and kept them in a game that we could have put away and. Say what you want to say it is what it is. You don't get the calls. You do get the calls, whatever. Thought we got a bad whistle. It was affirmed and I watched it, but hey, that is what it is. And you got to play through it. We had every opportunity in overtime to win that game. And we just didn't. And uh, that's another bogey as I make a, you know, golf reference again. West Virginia was a bogey on hole number two. Uh, uh, on number five, we had a bogey in Morgantown, West Virginia, and 
here we did it again. And uh, now we got to start making birdies. And that's number one, defending our home court on Saturday against Baylor with another electric atmosphere uh, against a top 25 team that can easily come into Allen Fieldhouse and win. Then 48 hours later, we go to Lubbock, Texas, where they're kind of reeling. They were at the top, then they dropped back-to-back games uh, at home against Cincinnati, and then last night lose to Baylor at Baylor, which is another place we're going to go later in the year as our schedule gets even tougher. So that's what amplified the big Monday matchup in Manhattan and the loss because of what we have to come. I'm sick. I'm, I'm sick. I just uh, I just wanted to be mad all day yesterday. I had, you know, friends and family and former players hit me up. Oh, you know, bounce back, game day, whatever. I just that, that was just one of those those days where I wanted to be be mad. I didn't want any reasons. I didn't want to have to answer any questions. I didn't want any consoling. I just wanted to be mad. And, and this is why I look. When you think I'm about always the- there to console you. If you need a shoulder to cry on. Now nah, you were on the road. I, I was actually glad that you were out of town because I didn't. I didn't want any chumminess or, or, or buddiness. Uh, but uh, and the reason why it was difficult. Look, you know, we think back to to last year. You know, we lose in overtime in Manhattan, but they had two real dudes go off. You know, Moel, Keontae Johnson, real dudes step up, big boy basketball going off on their home court. Um, and, and we just couldn't get it done. All right. Hey, that, 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 that's fine. I'm not convinced that that's a great Kansas state team. Um, I'm not convinced even their best players had their best game. And that's why I just felt difficult to, to, to lose that way. You know, for, for every category, you know, that we dominated against, against Houston, we let those categories slide. Uh, and you, on the road in Manhattan, and you can't do that expecting to win a rivalry game uh, on the road. And you know it, it's helpful to be able to think, hey, when the shots aren't falling, and we took a ton of contested twos, and and uh, you know had a hard time throwing the ball in the in the hunter. It's like, what are you going to hang your hat on when you're finding a difficult time to score? And you know historically, Coach Self has been able to develop teams and guys to be able to do that. And you know, you could talk about, you know, the legs and the, and the tiredness, you know, when it comes to that that difficult uh, Saturday, Monday turnaround, which is a real thing, except when it's a rivalry game. Like, you know, I'm not really sure that that, that, that can be a factor, you know, when, when it's a rivalry game, uh, if it really means as much to you as it should. And so. And, but to that point, though, I always say this, the Saturday Mondays are a thing, but they're the same thing for our opponents. And they had the exact, well, little different scenario. They were on the road and then home, vice versa. But I always look at it, yes, tired legs, but you got to think that the other team's doing the exact same thing. Yeah, no, 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 sure. And, and uh, you know, though we haven't uh, gotten a significant amount of production uh, off our bench, and I know that's been a, a narrative that's been uh, described and discussed for the duration of the season, um, they struggled. You know, they 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 really no other way to put it. Yeah, uh, they they you know they hurt us, and so yeah. Um, yeah. So when you add that factor into it, when um, you know this may be unlike some other teams that have a little bit more, maybe not even depth at that position, but when when, when they're in the game and and they hold serve basically while you can work through some foul trouble or work through some fatigue and, and get your guys back out there. Um, yeah, that was something that 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 we that was a big miss for us, and and it can't be a miss. It, it's difficult now. As you're thinking about um, the conference race, which is so interesting, Greg, because this time last week, guess what? We were in the middle of the pack of the Big 12. One Saturday, one major win, and everyone else loses, and then the reshuffling of the deck, and next thing you know, we're tied for first, right? right. Uh, and so I'm, I'm sure it's going to be kind of a seesaw effect throughout the duration. The difficult thing now is, is it kind of feels like our destiny isn't in our own hands anymore. Like, even if we win, you know, hold serve at home and split on the road, we're probably going to need some help from some other teams. And that's just probably a little bit more of a feeling that we're not used to, especially this early in February. No question. You know, we're going to need some help, but the other teams got to go through what we're going through too. Would you have picked Cincinnati winning in Lubbock? No. I don't think anybody out of the state of Ohio had them beating K 
Texas Tech and Lubbock. So there's going to be more of that. There's going to be a lot more of that. We're going to be able to scoreboard watch a little bit. But hey, the, hey, so, so yeah. So with that said, forecasting more. And I think maybe at the start of the conference season, and maybe even Fran talked about this on our on our last episode. Four to win outright, five to tie. Speaking of losses, at this juncture, do you think those numbers still hold true, or do we need to slide that loss column up a little bit and maybe make it five gets hit the title outright and six gets the share? Or I mean, I think that's a, that's a fair question. Oh, I think at this point, if you look at this, the, the standings, five wins it. Twelve and or thirteen and five wins it. Twelve and six also might tie it. So uh, we'll continue to update it. You know, back to the uh, the game itself. You know, as you're watching it, I'm I'm right there five feet from the floor. There was a a, a play. You know, we talk about tired legs and all that, and everybody goes to the the overtime when Kevin missed a front end of a of a one and one and, and um, Bill went nuts. You know, we were talking about Scott Drew, the coaching box. I mean, Bill was on the court, out of the coach's box, doing everything that Scott Drew didn't and was complaining because two of their guys, both feet were in the lane as Kevin went like this. And when Bill, you know, missed it and they got the rebound and we fouled. But when Bill asked the officials, they looked at him like he was speaking German. They didn't even know what he – and they're like, this is exactly what, like, that was a violation times two. And Kevin would have got another free throw. And that's why, to Bill's defense, he went nuts and the entire coaching staff went nuts because it was, I mean, you can't just choose to pick when you enforce rules. But they said, ah, I didn't see it. He's like, how do you, that was just the frustrating part. They go on, they, they made their free throws. We didn't. We lose the game, we move on. But that's, if you listen to my, uh, my interview with Bill post game, it was referenced, and uh, uh, that definitely stuck in the crawl. Now, the good thing is we can get right back healthy again on Saturday, and we're going to get K-State in our building for senior night, which we have a ridiculous record on senior night. So it'll be fun to get back in the win column, but uh, yeah, still so a very, I like, very I like the prep, you know, Monday, Saturday. I like the multiple days of prep. I like the multiple days at rest. But coming off a rivalry loss, there's something about it that just – stings a little bit longer, you know, that, that lingers uh, deep into the week. And, and hopefully those guys will use that as a motivating factor. Hey, how about you give the listeners and I a little bit of perspective of what is it like when you have to go into the locker room after a tough loss like that? I look, look, w- w- you and I have talked about the banter and the, and the happy-go-lucky kind of mood it is sometimes when you go in to interview coach after games and, you know, Curtis Townsend, the other assistants are razzing you and, and, and egging you on and making faces and things like that as you're trying to keep a straight face and be a professional after a win when the locker room's feeling good. Oh, I kind of shudder and it feels a little, <laughs> little, little, little cold when I think about you having to walk into the locker room to think the right questions to ask where you want to be, you know, a a real journalist, so to speak, and to be able to get real authentic and meaningful answers, but you don't want to step on a landmine when you get blown. What is that like? Help us understand what that's like. It's a great uh, question. And and we talk about it a lot and you know how a locker room is, but then you, when you put yourself into that journalist uh, uh, box, it is fun. When we, air we use air quotes for journalists for you and I. Yeah, that's fine. Air that's fine. And I, obviously, I'm not a uh, trained <laughs> journalist, uh, business degree from the University of Kansas. But, but uh, uh, you know, it's my 13th or 14th year doing these interviews. And Bill and I obviously have a very good relationship, known each other for 30 plus years. And but, but when you win, oh, it's great. Even sometimes when you do win, he's mad because we didn't win by enough or he didn't like something. But a loss, you know, everyone on a win, everyone's kind of jealous of me. Oh, you go in the locker room, it's fun. Hey, tell me about the game, blah, blah, blah. But there's sometimes in those games that you know you're going to lose and you're down 10 with 30 seconds. I'll look at Brian and be like, you want to go in there and do this interview? And he's like, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, you know, you go in there and, and just to kind of set the scene, you got a coach's locker room and then you got a, a, a player's locker room. So the, Coaches, I wait until the coaches walk into the 
player locker room to go address the team. I go into the coach's locker room and I sit there and I write out a few questions or at least my, my monologue, so to speak. And, you know, I'm sitting there by myself. I got no interaction with anybody. And I'm like, Oh God, what's he going to be like? You know, is he going to, and you can, you're usually bordering a wall to the uh, player locker room. So you can kind of hear the, the, the uh, volume of his talk with the team and some of the uh, language. So you get a little bit of an idea but then you're like, oh boy, I better change that, or I better not ask about that because I do get feedback from fans sometimes. They're like, why didn't you ask them about, you know, this like harder hitting questions? And I'm like, well, to your point, I'm sitting there and Norm, KT, Jeremy, Brennan, Brady, Q, they're all we're always in a very very small space, so it's like. It's like we're in like a walk-in closet, so to speak. It's not really a locker room. So they're all looking at you like, what are you going to say, girly? Make sure it's make sure it's good. Make sure you don't stumble. And and hard questions, it's, I don't know. It's Should I do it? Probably. Do I want the answers that I'm searching for? Maybe not. And then the thing that fans don't have to deal with is the aftermath. When I click the button to end it, they'll be like, what kind of blankety blank <laughs> question was that? And I'm like, well, you know, this guy in uh, Iola wanted to know. And I'm like, so. Uh, hey, well, you, say, you say the average fan doesn't have to, to deal with that. You know, the average media member doesn't have to deal with that, right? They're, they're 50 feet away, coaches behind the table. They're, they're, they're lobbing questions from a safe distance uh, and, and have zero interaction or engagement uh, with him afterwards. Where, where man, you're you're in the ring of fire for sure. But uh, yeah, no, and and it, it, this isn't feel sorry for Greg time. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just giving you an answer to your question, which was a great question to kind of get a, a, a the landscape of how it all works. And it's not enjoyable. And you know, you sit there, and you know, it's it's usually quiet. Like everyone's just kind of like, what do we do? How do we lose that? God, we had every opportunity. And then, then I kind of look at him. I'm like, all right, you ready? And sometimes he is, sometimes he isn't. And I take my phone out and I, you know, ready. And then, you know, I go tell everyone else to be quiet and, and uh, it is what it is. It's uh, I think it's great uh, uh, content. People love it home away, whatever they get in their car, they're driving home. They love hearing from the coach Ten minutes after the final buzzer. So it's uh it's good. Uh, it's great content. I think, uh, I welcome all of your comments, please. Email no, you don't. Me, uh, no, you don't. <laughs> no, I you enjoy, don't say that. You no, know, you get the, you, it, I, I'd love to, to show you some of the stuff I'll show you, maybe not the public, but it's a, it is funny what, what people look at perception versus reality. You know, it is what it is, but we're, I'm unbelievably fortunate to number one, have this job. I mean, it's a privilege to be able to call the games of my favorite place, place I played, and then be able to work with a staff and a head coach that I've never worked anywhere else, so I don't know, but I can't imagine anybody as personable and easy because a lot of times I'm kind of more of a uh, conversationally uh, interviewer, like where it's not even like, why did you do this? Why did you do that? It's more like, I kind of recap something because he's so good at just rambling and rambling sounds like a bad word, but he'll, he'll kind of recap it too, even off of a statement as opposed to a question. Yeah. Hey, it's a thankless job. Thanks for lobbing up the questions and getting the heck it's out of It's not a way. thankless job. It's a thankful job. Yeah. And, uh, and, and letting coach do his thing. And Hey, speaking of, of coaches and, and coaches that, uh, we're really excited about. We had a great opportunity to interview and to spend some time with our new head win, women's soccer coach, Coach Nate Lee, in an interview that we recorded uh, a little bit earlier. And we're going to to tack on uh, to the end of this. Man, how excited are we? Not just about the announcement in the Kansas City that we're going to get to host two World Cup matches, but now to be able to have uh, a head coach at our soccer program that's willing to capitalize off the momentum of hosting a World Cup, having one of the best facilities in the Big 12, being in one of the top recruiting bases uh, for women's soccer in the country, and he gets a chance to get into all that. 
And so uh, I really enjoyed our time and interview with him, and I, I'm sure our listeners will as well. Yeah, and I thought it was great. And as, you, as you'll listen, I thought, you know, we talked about soccer in Kansas City from a guy who was outside of the Kansas City area that talked about how good Kansas City as a region producing really, really good soccer programs. And, and he looked at that as a, as a bonus. It's like, all right, I'm coming to an area that's, you know, 30 minutes down the road where I can go get girls to, to come play at Kansas and take us to the next level. So a very enjoyable interview with Nate Lee. Uh, and I'll correct you on one thing. I think we're getting six World Cup games. One quarterfinal, another one, and then like a bunch of group play. Six World oh, Cup yeah, matches. Oh, yeah, group of play. Yeah, I was thinking of group yeah. of play as yeah. I mean, as think one. about that as a, as a Kansas Cityan, and you are too. What a cool atmosphere. They, they say, that the, the soccer people that go to these World Cups, that one is like Super Bowl-esque economic impact of your region. We're getting six, not to mention – campsites and what they call a campsite is like let's just say uh, uh argentina they will utilize kansas city and that's a you know hypothetical it's not gonna be argentina but whoever it is pick a country and they bring like twenty thousand people so hotels restaurants gas station everything they just take over for like six weeks and then they go to kci and they fly to wherever their team's games are uh so we're going to have that. We're going to have six games. And for Nate to capitalize on that, being the, the backyard program, will be huge. But what a great guy, great staff that he's brought, and a very enjoyable uh, interview coming up after uh, the break. But to put a, put a bow on Kansas basketball and everything that's going on right now, Saturday the Baylor Bears are in town. College game day will be here. Jay Williams, Seth Greenberg, Jay Billis. Uh, Dan Shulman will be calling the game. Uh, always fun to show off Allen Fieldhouse and its iconic presence. And, uh, you know, they were just in uh, the Dean Dome in Chapel Hill. I assume they'll go to Cameron Indoor for that next installment of UNC Duke. But, uh, you know, our students show up in a big way to show off what we have. And uh, it's just a good three-hour commercial for the University of Kansas. We've seen it with College Game Day at Football, you know, with when we had that two years ago and what it meant to, you know, our university. And it, it's it's a commercial. Our our numbers show that our enrollment goes up when this is a cool place to come to as a fan, as a player, as whatever. And, and uh, largest freshman class in our history right now. There's no denying that it has to do with success in football, success in basketball and being the place to be. So show up on Saturday. Uh, Wayne, you'll probably be up there with all your kids. It's just a fun atmosphere. Be speechless. I'm anticipatory. I'm excited. Excited. So Baylor on Saturday. Uh, then we hop on a plane, which they moved our uh, flight time up a little bit, I think, so we can land in Lubbock around 4 o'clock get settled and watch our Kansas City Chiefs win another Super Bowl. I'm going to the one city in America outside of Kansas City or outside of the state of Kansas or Missouri where there's going to be all Chiefs fan. That's Lubbock, Texas. So wearing our red, we're going to it's going to be like being home because you know, Patrick Mahomes, Texas Tech, it's actually going to be kind of fun. I wish I was at my guy's house that I always go to. Jason Gudenkoff, uh, to watch the games. But uh, I'll be in Lubbock with strangers that will have the same goals, and that's for the Chiefs to win another Super Bowl. Where, where are you going to watch it? Uh, I'll be at the same place where we watched it last year. I've got a good friend named, uh, named John Wright. Uh, he's actually a, a K-State grad, a former K-State football player. But they've got uh, four boys indoor basketball court, theater room, all the goodies. So we'll, we'll bring my whole crew, drop them off over there and make some chili and some nachos and uh, and, and enjoy the enjoy the game there. Where did you watch it last year? At his house. Perfect. Okay. Yep. That was the only yep, right yep, answer. Because yep. <laughs> uh, that's yep. the same way with me. I'm a little 
upset that I'm going to be out of town because I I've watched the previous two Super Bowls at at another. He's actually a K State guy too, Jason Goodenkoff. Uh, uh, but I've watched it at his house. I'm not going to be there, but uh, I'm kind of I'm going to wear the same hoodie that All I've always worn. Run it back, everything. Run it back. Same so, menu, same seats, run all that back. I know it's the Jayhawker podcast, but what the Chiefs have done has been so much fun as a lifer, as an absolute lifer Chiefs fan. I, I, I talk to my kids about this. I'm like, you guys have no idea how fortunate you they are as Jayhawk fans and Chiefs fans and Royals. It's been an amazing lifetime for my 23 and 20 year old daughters. So uh, they're very spoiled, but I'm glad they are. So. Uh, Saturday, Baylor Bears, Monday, Texas Tech. We got a chance to get healthy. And you and I, next Wednesday, when we film another Jagger podcast, will be like, the, the Manhattan loss is behind us. We just won two straight. All is well in the world. We got another Super Bowl champ, back-to-back Kansas basketball wins. And let's just hope that happens. Nate Lee coming up next, Jagger podcast. Brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System, Black and Veatch, and Xfinity. Rock Chop. In order for small businesses to thrive, they need to be smart, efficient, savvy, staying ahead of the market at every turn, finding ways to do more with less, and taking advantage of every opportunity that comes their way. That's why Comcast Business is introducing the Small Business Bonus. For a limited time, you can get up to a $1,000 prepaid card when you switch to Comcast Business, the company with the largest, fastest, reliable network. So if you're a small business owner, don't wait. Call or go online to learn about the $1,000 bonus today. Give your business a head start in 2024. Get started with fast speech and advanced security for $49.99 a month for 12 months with a two-year agreement. Call or go online to switch today. Ends 2-21-24. Restrictions apply. New customers only with 50 megabits per second internet and security edge. Eco bill and auto pay required. Equipment, taxes, and fees extra. Prepaid card offer requires premium internet. Our brand new soccer coach, Nate Lee, is joining us. This is the Jericho Podcast, brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System, Xfinity, and Black and Veatch. Coach, welcome to Lawrence. Welcome to the podcast. So good to have you. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, it's great to be here. Great to be here, Lawrence. Talk a little bit about yourself. Give everybody a, a... Kind of your background. Come to us from Xavier and uh, been around the Midwest, Cleveland, Ohio, but uh, first time here in Kansas. So how's the welcoming been, facilities, just the whole shooting match? Yeah, I've, I've been coaching now for about 15 years, and all 15 of those were in Southwest Ohio. So four years at Miami, Ohio, four years at University of Cincinnati, and about seven over at Xavier. And um, I was born and raised in Ohio. Uh, my wife was born and raised in Ohio. Kids were born and raised in Ohio. And so this, uh, this trip to Kansas has been new. Um, it's been exciting. Uh, one thing I've noticed right away is the, the welcoming nature of the people of Kansas, the people of Lawrence. I was telling Wayne on the way over here, I would have been a few minutes earlier, but every time uh, I walked by a door in the hallway, someone was, was saying hello, wanting to know how the transition was going. So that is one thing that me and my family felt from day one is the, are the people. Well, this guy right here, Wayne Simeon, was a, a big proponent of getting you here on the hiring committee, and so uh, uh, he knows a lot about you. But tell everyone else about your family, kids. And... Three kids, seven, nine, 11 years old, so second, fourth, sixth grade. Um, the oldest one is, is Michael, and he, he just entered a Rubik's Cube competition, and then had a... Uh, uh, he's in chess club and he does. He does How stuff fast like that. can he do? <laughs> he said, yeah, yeah, I, I know the answer to this one. Sure. He just set his PR on a, a three by three, which is a standard cube in just under 20 seconds. His average is under 30. He was very proud. We have a video of it. 20 seconds. Yeah, 20 seconds. We might want to get this video. We could play 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get it to you. Um, Grace is the middle. She is in the middle of basketball season. She plays soccer. Um, you know, it's, you could tell she's the girl of our family, um, and, and Josh is our young one. He's, he's a little guy, um, and he's always hanging around the older boys and doesn't realize he's like a foot smaller than everyone. Um, but yeah, he tries to keep up, and he's, he, he loves his sports too, and they're all excited to come. Love it. Yeah, 
tell us a little bit about your coaching journey, uh, obviously coming from uh, Xavier, which, you know, the Big East time people can look at and say, hey, it's not in the Power Five traditional conference, but a very tradition-rich and competitive uh, soccer environment. Talk to us a little bit about uh, your success there at Xavier, but then also your overall soccer journey, which led you to wanting to become a head coach. Sure. Um, yeah, the Big East, people listening to this probably have respect for that conference in basketball. I think right now maybe ranked the second behind Big 12. And I think it was pretty similar on the soccer side. Um, the Big 12 and the Big East actually tended to be ranked right next to each other year over year. So one year um, the Big East was ahead, one year the Big 12 was. I do think the Big 12 is a deeper conference, um, a little bit more challenging top to bottom. And so that, that, that's going to be um, – you know, a, a new mountain to try to climb, but I, do, I don't think that the change in level is going to be that extreme. Um, while we were at Xavier, we were able to win four championships, three regular season, one tournament. We went to four NCAA tournaments. Um, we were able to advance twice. Uh, yeah, we, were, we had a pretty strong team there at the end. And uh, one, one stat I'm proud of is we hadn't lost a conference game in 27 games, which is almost three full conference seasons. Um, so that, that team that, that we left behind and that's going to you know, be successful going forward was a real, was a real tough team and um, something we were proud of. We, uh, I was fortunate enough to be parts of championship teams as an assistant coach. So at University of Cincinnati, we won the American Athletic Conference Championship in, in our third year there in 2015. Um, when I was at Miami University, we won the MAC Championship our fourth year there in 2012, we won the double, the regular season and the tournament, and we knocked off Tennessee in the NCAA tournament. And so each program I've been part of, uh, fortunate enough to have won a conference championship, um, compete in the NCAA tournament, and it's something we're hoping to do sooner than later here at KU. Yeah, and I love that that's the, the expectation. You've had championship pedigree at each step uh, along the way in your, your coaching career, and the expectation here at Kansas for that hasn't changed, right? You're wanting and coming in not to just be competitive, not just to occasionally make the NCAA tournament, but to compete for conference and national championships. That's the hope. And we're building, we hope to be building on a, a really strong and proud legacy that Coach Francis and, and the coaches before him built. Uh, I've said this before, but <laughs> I'll make this like proclamation. I know how good KU soccer can be and was because Kansas beat Xavier in the 2019 second round of the NCAA tournament. And so I was on the losing end of, of that one. And Katie McClure, who I believe might have been All-American here, um, scored a hat trick against us. So uh, we could have done a better job defending her. But yeah, that is, I've said it as far as all the Ohio roots that we had for us to, to make this big leap and for my wife, Emily, to, to sign off on, on a new opportunity where she's leaving her family. We're only going to do it if we think we can compete at the highest level, and we'd rather not wait um, for, for that to happen three, five, ten years down the road. We're, we're, we're already at work with the team, and when we talk to them, it's hard to talk about expectations because we don't know, right? We don't yeah. know exactly what we have. We don't know what's fair as far as tangible results. But as we're putting this 2024 fall schedule together and making some choices, I told the team in our meeting last week, we, we put a, a team like Brown on the schedule um, and it looks like we're going to add Gonzaga on the schedule. And those are two women's soccer NCAA tournament teams that the reason we're adding them is that we think we can compete and, and try to win those games. And if we do, that will be on our resume for the NCAA tournament. So that's, that's the hope. Yeah. You know, in this day and age of, of transfer portal and all the stuff going on, facilities are a big draw. So talk about what drew you to Kansas how nice our facilities are out at Rock Chalk Park and maybe compare and contrast what you had at Xavier compared to here. Right, and I, what, what I say, I, I, I don't want it to be a knock on Xavier. I, I loved my time there. I really respect the people I worked with. We made the best of our facilities, and we used it as a home field advantage, and, and so it's not a knock on, on a place like Xavier. But it is a, a reason why um, we one of the, the factors of making this change and one of the factors of potentially having a higher ceiling. I came from a place where we shared our facility with men's soccer and lacrosse, um, and this was the game and practice facility for, for all three of those teams. And so essentially kind of need six segments um, to, to try to schedule. Uh, the, turf, the field was turf, 
um, the field was narrow, and so it, it had 70 yards of width at best, which um, in, in some ways you could use to your advantage, but in some ways was, was limiting from a, from a tactical kind of point of view. And so if we juxtapose that against Rock Chalk, uh, we have a perfect, essentially, grass pitch that's full size, 120 by 80, that we don't share with anyone and that's sacred for game day. Um, and so when you roll up to, to Rock Chalk and you see the, the stature of it um, and you walk out of a proper tunnel, that, that, that's what you want in soccer, I hope the players get butterflies kind of coming out of that tunnel because I, I, get, I get it talking about it. And, and then, you know, that's a bit of drive off campus, but for the student-athletes' daily life, um, they walk out of their dorms straight into the locker room, which this building has the athletic training room, has strength and conditioning, and you walk out the doors and you're on your, your training field, which from what I've been told, the surface matches that of, of the game facility and we have plenty of room out there. And so um, it shows up in certain ways where our, where our players, the ones that have ambitions for being all conference, all American that, that might wanna be pros or just wanna be able to contribute to winning here, um, they can go out with a coach, they can go out on their own, get extra work. And, and those were things that, that were a much bigger challenge beforehand. So you mentioned a little bit about the players and in uh, the hiring process, you came on board just before Christmas break uh, as the NCAA tournament wrapped up. Uh, the players got a chance to, to hear and meet from you, and then they went home, and then they came back. And in that time, you assembled your staff, and you've recently had a couple moments to be able to be on uh, the pitch with them in a training scenario. So tell us what uh, that transition has been like and, uh, and what are your early impressions? And I know it's early, early, sure. but what are your early impressions of uh, the roster you have? So, so as you said, we, I was hired, came out here the next day and met the team in a one hour meeting. And it was awkward in all the, all the, the right ways because we're all just getting to know each other um, and we're all excited and we're trying to figure out how to express that because you really can express that when you work with each other daily. Um, but when it's that first introduction, you're just trying to, to make a good impression, um, create some excitement, try to set a few expectations, and then they go home for break. And so the first thing we asked them when they went home on break and no one's watching them and four or five, six weeks on their own is, is to come back fit and ready to go. And I'll give a great shout out to the, to the existing team, um, to Allie and Allison, our, our athletic trainers, to Taylor, our strength coach, that uh, a program was put in place. The, the players seemed to follow it. So then on day one, when we go out to training the first day, the team looked ready and we didn't have to take a long time to, to acclimate. We could jump right into it. And, and that's my coaching style is um, let's not take half of practice to warm up into what we're really trying to get to. Let's, let's jump in and make our time worth it. And so we're on week three. Um, we've been out on the field three times. We have another one coming up later this week. We've had two film sessions. They've had five or six strength and conditioning sessions. Early impressions, um, the, the, players, the players are ready to work. Um, they're, they're ready to listen and, and try to implement the, the, the new coaching points. Um, we're still at that point where we are asking them to do new things, and that can be paralyzing. And so, it, and then when you try to put those new things together, it could look disjointed. And so we're just asking for their patience and trust that keep doing these things, and day by day, it's going to be more natural to you individually. And then we as a team um, will flow and have coherence a lot more. And um, we already see that, like from day one to day three, just the natural training habits that we're asking for. And, and doesn't mean we're, ours are right and anyone else's was wrong. It's just this new era of KU soccer will have certain standards. You could already see them adhering to those standards more naturally um, and how we're trying to put those pieces together over time. So coming from Ohio <clears throat> and you were in this game for a long, long time, what were your uh, perceptions of Kansas City? Kansas City and the surrounding area soccer programs. You got the you got Sporting KC, you got the KC Current, which has just taken over, built the only uh, women only professional sports stadium that's going to open here in a month or so. Uh, what, did, what did you view Kansas City as from afar? And now that you're here, how much will you try to get into Kansas City and, and get a lot of your players from that region? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a, a big part of why I thought this was the right job for, for me in my career is uh, we, we hope we're good coaches, but one of the things that make coaches look really smart is having really good players and, and, and recruiting to the best of your ability. And I've, I think and thought that Kansas City was one of the best hubs in the country for recruiting. And we tried, right? So at my previous schools, we tried to recruit Kansas City and we, we had a player committed or two, but it, it, it's in Big 12 country or, or it's closer to SEC country. And um, to get to convince someone to, to come eight, nine, 10 hours away to a school that they probably hadn't heard of. We just didn't have a lot of luck, but we knew how strong the market was. Um, Cincinnati is a strong soccer market. St. Louis, Kansas City, those are three of the major ones in the Midwest. Um, and so that will be home base for us. And so we've already been to Kansas City multiple times. We have another one of our coaches going tonight. Um, I'm, going, I'm going tomorrow. We are going, I, I told some of those coaches, like, tell me when you're sick of us, because we're going to be around and and we're going to try to recruit your best players, um, the ones that have been, been leaving town. It's our job to try to keep them home. And so we'll, we'll recruit all over the country and, and try to find difference makers wherever they may live, but we're going we're gonna to start here at home. Yeah, and you just talked about we in that recruiting process. Clearly, you're referring to your coaching staff. And so, Brad, a little bit about them. Uh, you brought one of them from Xavier with you, and then you were able to go out and to, uh, and to recruit uh, some other great coaches for some other programs uh, who you had a relationship with to join you in this new journey here at Kansas. So tell us about your staff. I can't, I can't overstate how excited I am about this staff. Um, I was fortunate enough where got the first piece in place right away when Tyler decided to, to come from Xavier. So Tyler was recently promoted to associate head coach at Xavier, and he started off with us as a volunteer. Um, and so he worked his way up really quickly because he's really, really good. Um, and he, he can do, he's proficient in, in lots of different areas, whether it's in the office or on the field. But I think the first thing that drew me to him was he's a relentless, relentless recruiter. He loves it. Um, he, he, he dreams it, I think. And he comes every single day ready to try to add to our talent base. And he dropped out of two potential head coaching searches, um, just, just decided to come to Kansas with us right away. Wow and was on that plane day one um, with his wife, Kendall, who is, is from down in Alabama. They just got married. This is not her region of the country that she's <laughs> used to, and she signed off on it because of how passionate he is about the opportunity and, and how supportive she is of, of his career. And then um, since Tyler, we added Tiffany Hansen as an associate head coach, and she was always my first choice. And... All the pieces of the rest of the puzzle for the staff had to wait to see if we got Tiffany. Um, we, we are kind of in the, I'm a little bit older than her, but we're in sort of the same generation that we were young coaches coming up at the same time. She was at Dayton when I was at Miami, Ohio, which are less than an hour away. Uh, we recruited the same players. We kept on being at the same fields. They won just as many of those battles as we did, so I knew that, that she had a, a great eye and that she was part of a great recruiting staff. After she left Dayton, she went to University of Michigan for seven years and was part of huge success there, including I think her final year they went to the, the, to the Elite Eight, and they had nationally ranked recruiting classes while she was the recruiting coordinator. Um, LSU came knocking and, and I think like recruited her to come to LSU, and she spent the last two years there, different part of the country, a little bit kind of closer when it comes to us for Texas and some of those areas and she was recruiting coordinator at LSU. And so for us to bring her recruiting experience is huge for our staff. Um, she's a great, great person, and that's what originally connected us. And then as a goalkeeper coach, because that's her role on our staff, she's absolutely one of the best in the country. And I think a little bit of proof of that is she spent last week with the under-20 national team as their goalkeeper coach. Yeah. Wow. She's about to go to Columbia with the under-20s, and before that, she was going to be with U16. So she's literally um, being asked by the, the national team staff to, to, tr to train and coach the best goalkeepers the country has. Uh, the third coach on the staff, uh, assistant coach, is Daniel Baker. And Daniel, uh, his, his story isn't that dissimilar to Tyler's, that he started off as a, vo a volunteer, was willing to do all the non-glamorous, dirty work, um, was a huge value add for us at Xavier in the 2022 season when 
we advanced in the NCAA tournament. He was part of that staff. I think part of my responsibility as a head coach is helping the assistants um, move on with their careers if, that's, if they're ready and if that's what they choose to. And he moved on from Xavier to Penn State and was full-time with Penn State. That was his first time full, full-time uh, coaching gig with Penn State. And they finished the season maybe number one in the RPI. Um, I think they went to the final eight. Um, they're one of the perennial teams in the country. And so Daniel being willing to leave Penn State for a very similar role here at, at Kansas, um, I'm appreciative, and, and I think he'll add a ton of value. Uh, he relates incredibly well to the players. He's the old soul, even though he's the youngest player on staff. Um, he's a great counterbalance to a lot of, th- a lot of quirks of my personality. And, and then we rounded off the staff with Sean Soderling as the director of ops. And again, like Sean left a, a head coaching position um, and Sean is married with two kids and has decided to sort of uproot his life and take this gamble to come on with the director of ops role um, from a head coaching position. And Sean is uh, full of energy and charisma. He's creative. He's great with graphics. Um, and so he can, I think, very much serve us from a recruiting spec- perspective behind the scenes uh, when, when recruits get on campus. And yeah, he's already... He has the biggest social media following of the five of us, and he's already kind of hitting that social media pretty hard. So just feel incredibly blessed about the staff. Oh, that's great to hear yeah. that. You know, we're around uh, these coaches and these programs uh, pretty regularly. And, of course, uh, you got guys like Bill and Lance and Fitz to get, uh, you know, the head of the ship and the limelight. But we all know that there is a, an awesome core of talented and hardworking assistants uh, that are helping to support that program. And it sounds like – uh, you've assembled uh, something very, very similar. I think so. We, our, our charge is that we will serve our student-athletes, um, act in their best interest, and outwork any staff out there. And that's at least what we're asking of each other, um, that we're going to be recruiting machines as much as we can, that we can bring the best talent here to Lawrence, um, and we can do it in the right way. Here we are, basically, first part of February, Take me through the rest of the spring, the summer, leading into to next year, recruiting-wise, what the spring will be like and summer. So team-wise, we're in a, a phase of eight hours where we're allowed to be with the student-athletes, um, countable hours of eight a week. We have a few more of those weeks, and then we'll transition to the 20, and where that's the majority of the rest of the spring. Up until spring break, we'll, we'll just be training and kind of gearing up um, and then after spring break, we're allowed to play five spring games, which are exhibitions. And we play essentially one a week uh, after spring break. Four of those, unfortunately, are going to be on the road. But that'll be a great way for us to get to know each other. You bond a little bit more when you're, when you're mm-hmm. on the bus in the it's hotel yeah, at, at dinner. Um, and then we'll, we'll play at Rock Chalk Park on April 21st. We're playing a local team, um, Washburn, who is the runner-up, Division II national runner-up. So a very, a very good team, and it's nice playing a local team. And then outside of that, we're going to be recruiting anywhere, everywhere. Um, on my calendar, every single weekend from here until May, I will be recruiting or sneaking back to Cincinnati for, uh, for a weekend because my family's still there. But I have this first six weeks uh, on the job, I'll be, I'll be out recruiting, and then I'll be able to sneak back to Cincinnati at the end of February, I believe. Well, something that's unique about your background is that you didn't start out in the coaching world, but you actually spent a significant time in the corporate world. Uh, most folks finish their playing career, hop right into coaching, and then stay in it and, and, and kind of climb the ladder. How had your experience in the corporate world prepared you in a unique way for your role now and basically running your own company or running an organization that is a team? Yeah, I had a few, a few unique things that came along that have probably shaped my career. One thing was, if we're all probably familiar with Title IX, which is legislation that, that brought um, equity to, to women's sports and a big reason why I have this job. Um, but I don't know how many people know this. I was part of a college team that the, the men's program at Miami University, where I was a player, uh, was dropped because of Title IX back in the mid to late 90s. And that was a big one for a few reasons. One, um, I was the captain of the team at the time, and the head coach, a gentleman named Bobby Kramig, we f- 
fought to save our team, um, went to town hall meetings, met with the board of directors, and him and I became closer during that experience, um, went through something pretty important and, and emotional and forged a bond that 10 years later, he's the one who gave me my shot in college soccer. He became the women's, pro, the women's coach at Miami. And uh, if I fast forward through a lot of that story, he hired me and gave me my first shot. Um, I think it also, for a little bit of the time, took my focus off of soccer because I, I didn't play my senior year and I decided to stay and finish. I had a, a finance economics double major. And so I went right into the business world, um, into an investment banking life that taught me a lot of things. One is the value of hard work because we were working 80 to 100 hours a week. Um, attention to detail was incredibly important. Our, my bosses, I was providing work for them in presentations and they were using that work to try to win business that were billion dollar contracts. So if something went wrong, um, you were held accountable <laughs> in, in lots of different ways. Back then, they could probably get away with some stuff that you wouldn't get away with now. Uh, but it quickly, quickly taught me attention to detail in, in my work. Um, you had to be organized. You had to be efficient with your time. You were part of really high-level meetings that you saw a sales pitch, so to speak, um, which goes to recruiting. There was a level of professionalism that I, hopefully we bring to this program that that the average coach might not have had that young in their career. And so I think I learned a lot in my two years on the investment banking side. I did four years with an investment firm. And again, um, it was very fast paced, right? You have to be part of a firm that picks stocks and winners and losers. And if it goes well, you, you reap the rewards. And if it goes poorly, you could lose clients. And um, that, that brings on a lot of stress and you have to make split second decisions that have real implications. Um, I also spent two years doing community service with an organization called AmeriCorps, which when anyone ever asked me, I think that was the most impactful, powerful two years of my life. Um, I met my wife on a Habitat for Humanity build. So service is built into our family, built into that Xavier program and will be built into this, this KU program. Um, but we, that particular program I did, you were with a group of 10 people for a year, essentially. And you had one mode of transportation, which was a 15-passenger van. You lived for four to six weeks at wherever the sponsor put you. And so I, we lived in church basements on cots, and we lived um, in a transitional housing unit in, in downtown San Francisco. And we had to buy groceries for that 10 group of people. We had to learn to, to, to subsist on like $5 a day per person. and the great part of that program was they intentionally brought in people from different backgrounds. And so I was just coming out of college, just coming out of the finance world, and I was in a group that had people just out of high school with their GED. And it was different socioeconomic, race, religion, background, and you, you had to coexist and grow together for a year. And so I did that for a year in the western part of the United States, and then I did it for a year where I was the team leader taking those other 10 people out into the world and kind of the southeast part of the, the country. And that year as a team leader was probably the best training I've had for what it's like to be a head coach and trying to bring 25, 30 people from different backgrounds um, and unite them under one goal and, and figure out all the messy stuff in between. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. That's as of as well rounded of a background as as you could uh, put uncanny, together. Yeah, just a not your normal path to coaching. But like you said, it's a microcosm of coaching yeah. because you're dealing with all different walks of lives, all different scenarios, split second decisions that will mean a lot to a lot of people. So uh, we're we're ecstatic to have you here. We're so happy you joined us today. Everybody that meets you loves you. Obviously, the passion and energy comes out, and, and uh, I think it's going to be great, and, and, and you deserve the support. So what was it, April 21st? It will be the first I believe chance I'm not speaking, but April 21st is a, is a spring game. It's an exhibition, yeah. but we'll try to do some programming around it. We'd love to – we are going to get ourselves out in the community um, and be accessible, and we'd love if the community come back and support us. Uh, we, we're, we're putting together our fall 24 season, which should be released in the next few months, but we'll have some, some really high-quality, high-profile home games. And it's important to me that we make Rock Chalk Park and that facility 
a really tough place to play and a tough place to to walk away with a win, and we want that from day one. And if, as much as the community could support us, we, we'd appreciate it. You've only been here for a few weeks. Have you been down in the field house yet for a game? I, I was fortunate enough that when my family came on the trip to visit, we were at the game against UMKC. Uh, I went to the game just this past week against the University of Cincinnati, which oh, is yeah. a place I used to yeah. work. Um, and man, that was a that was a t- yeah. that was a battle. And so there's nothing like it. Yeah. Um, I showed up to the game. I was telling I was telling my family this. We've been to a lot of sporting events and been to a lot of college basketball games at Xavier, which which has a great program. And I showed up. I'm, I'm fortunate enough I could walk through a door and be in be in my seats. And so I came 10 minutes before the game. And one thing I noticed is the entire concourse was completely empty yeah. and everyone was in their seat. And I, I've never experienced anything quite like that where the crowd is full and energized and um, ready to go 10 minutes before tip-off. And it, it's just... It's yeah, just there's, no, there's no fashionably late here. Nope. <laughs> you get there early and it, it's an awesome atmosphere. And that's something that I'm sure you will utilize in recruiting because it's great to bring recruits into great environments just like it is to take them to on Saturdays at Kansas football when we get done with the new uh, David Booth Memorial Stadium. So uh, uh, just a great camaraderie. Wayne and I talk about it all the time when we have different coaches on, and, and you've only been here a few uh, months, but you, you'll learn, and I'm sure you already have, the, the camaraderie that exists in this athletic department. Yeah, absolutely. The the passion for, for Kansas athletics just drips out of people's pores. And whether that's the fans in the stands or the people working in this building, you can feel it, and it's, it's different than anything I've experienced. Well, you got two of them, and Wayne and I right here. For sure. We love it and wouldn't want to be anywhere else. But we thanks for joining yeah. us here on the Jagger Podcast. Nate Lee, brand-new soccer coach here at the University of Kansas. Get out, follow kansasathletics.com, find out when – that spring game will be and get out and support and make Rock Chalk Park uh, kind of like a little Allen Fieldhouse. So, uh, again, Rock Chalk, appreciate your time and uh, wish you nothing but the best. Rock Chalk, thank you for having me.